Well, we're going to continue as we dive into God's Word. And as I said earlier, we're in this series on identity that we've titled Mirror, Mirror. And uh, before we begin, I'd ask if you would bow your heads, pray with me as we uh, dive into God's Word. God, we gather here this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus. Father, we gather here each week in great expectation about what you will do. Because you have proven yourself faithful. You have proven yourself patient. And you have been the master teacher. Father, we ask you once again, humbly by the power of your spirit, to teach us here this morning. To change us. Don't just inform us, but change us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be truly pleasing in your sight. Our God, our protector, our perfecter. In Jesus' name, amen. Mirror, mirror. We got the title from this movie. If you're familiar with this movie, does this look familiar? Maybe some of you are older have seen this, right? What is it? Snow White, right? Snow White. That's where we got the the phrase mirror, mirror. And remember the queen, the wicked queen stands in front of the mirror, and what does she say? Or does she? Watch this. in the magic mirror come from the farthest space through wind and darkness I summon thee speak let me see thy face what wouldst thou know my queen magic mirror on the wall who is the fairest one of all famed is thy beauty majesty but hold, a lovely maid I see. Rags cannot hide her gentle grace. Alas, she is more fair than thee. Alas for her. Reveal her name. Lips red as the rose, hair black as ebony, skin white as snow. Magic mirror on the wall, not mirror mirror. But I think we still got it right. You know, it comes from an original Grimm's Brothers fairy tale, the Brothers Grimm. And in the original fairy tale from the 19th century, it says mirror mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? It's Disney that got it wrong. (laughs) They changed it. But the important part of the story here is that the mirror tells the truth. Right? Because she goes before the mirror all the time and asks, and the mirror says, you are the fairest of them all. Until one day she's not. And there's someone fairer than she. And isn't that true? When we place our identity, we find our worth in things that are fading, we find one day that it's changed. And just like the queen, sometimes we try to take matters into our own hand, and we try to wrestle it back. And we find that that's maybe not the smartest thing because sometimes we really don't like what the mirror has to say to us, do we? Sometimes we'd like the mirror to lie to us, right? Have you seen this product? Remember from Shark Tank, this skinny mirror? You know, it's you stand in front of this mirror and it makes you look thinner than you really are. My mom and dad have one of these mirrors. 
It's at the end of the hallway. And one day I didn't know it, and I'm walking down the hallway, and I look at myself in the mirror because it's this floor-length mirror, and I'm like, dang. I'm like, I've lost some weight. And I told Terry, I said, I think I've lost some weight. I said, look. She's like, it's a skinny mirror. I'm like, what is that? And she tells me what it is, and I'm like, great. Just burst my bubble. I felt really good about myself. But you know, it still hangs there, and I still like walking down the hall and looking at myself in the mirror. It's one of the few mirrors I really like to, you know, like stand in front of. Because the older you get, you find out the less you want to spend in front of that mirror. Right? Because you don't like what the mirror has to say. But the magic mirror tells the truth. And that's the important part of the story is truth. We need to really get at the truth. We need to take a hard look in the mirror and see exactly what the Bible says, what God's Word says to us. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to take a look and see what the Scriptures say about our identity. That, in fact, when we look in the mirror, we see sin, because that's what Scripture says. And that we see that we have a past, and we're reminded of our past as we see the past of others in Scripture. And we have to admit that when we look at our lives, sometimes they can just be a mess. And we have to admit that we're weak and powerless. That's what Scripture tells us. But that's not the only thing that Scripture tells us. It tells us the truth of these things, but it tells us something greater, that God sees something different. While this is true, God sees something different. So what does that look like? So this morning we're going to begin with week one, I see my sins. And we're going to take an honest look in the mirror at sin. Now, one of the things about sins that I think we get kind of messed up a little bit is we sort of think about sins as behaviors. It's the things that I do. We name them, right, like the seven deadly sins. Gluttony, lust, wrath, greed, envy, sloth, pride. You know, I don't think I'll ever look at Gary the same way again. You know who Gary is, right? It's a little snail, he's SpongeBob's little pet, you know? Anyway, so... You'll never look at the whole SpongeBob cartoon again either because I think these are accurate. But we look at sins as behaviors, and I think we look at it incorrectly, and especially look in the dictionary and look up the word sin, and this is what you'll find. An act, an immoral act, considered to be a transgression against divine law. So it's something you do. And then if you look and find what a sinner is, well, it's a person who commits that act, a person who transgresses against divine law by committing an immoral act or acts. It's the things that we do. It says sin equals behaviors. But see, the problem of making sin about behaviors is I can justify behavior. You know, we think sometimes we're in this postmodern world. And we're not really in a postmodern world because postmodernism says that there is no such thing as absolute truth. But that statement itself defeats itself, right? Does that include the statement that there is no absolute truth but absolute truth? And so what they found is that yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So now we live in this, what is called this post-truth culture. And post-truth says, yes, there is absolute truth. It just doesn't apply to me. Or it's not important. It doesn't have say-so here. I realize this is wrong. But I have needs. And I have wants. And I have desires. And my needs, my wants, my desires trump truth. That's the post-truth culture. And when we make sin about behaviors, we can justify behaviors. And that's just dangerous. 
Because while you might be able to ignore the truth, you oftentimes can't ignore the consequences of ignoring the truth. And so we want to take a hard look and see what's at the heart of this thing called sin. I ask you this question. So, ask it this way. Am I a sinner because I sin? Or do I sin because I'm a sinner? You see the difference? Well, let's look into the mirror of Scripture and see what God's Word has to tell us, because it's here we believe truth exists. If we want to take a really hard look in the mirror, we need to begin here and let it speak to us and tell us the truth about ourselves. As difficult as it is, if I'm honest with myself, I look in this mirror, and this is what God's Word says. The Apostle Paul says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Pretty inclusive. Scripture goes a little bit further. As David writes this in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful at birth. Not just birth. From the time my mother conceived me. Before I was born. I was brought into this world as a sinner before I was ever in this world. So, what's the answer to this question? Am I a sinner because I sin, or do I sin because I'm a sinner? I sin because I'm a sinner. That's my identity. That's what Scripture tells us. Every one of us, all mankind, there is no exception. We've all been born into a sinful world in the state of sin. And we can't escape it. That's who we are. And that's hard to see. But you have to admit it's true. I mean, parents, do you have to teach your children to say mine? Or do you have to teach them how to share? You don't have to teach them to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to disobey you. You have to teach them to obey you. And your parents had the same problem with you. So if we're honest and we just look at the evidence, we have to admit Scripture's true, that we were all born as sinners. We have to be taught how to do good. We just need to be honest for a second and say, yeah, that, that's true. And for adults, why do you think it is that we try to cover that with masks? We try to cover it up with the amount of success that I have, or power, or wealth, or if I have the right relationship, right, I can mask this thing that's going on with me. This person can help me, and I can overcome this, and it won't be such a thing inside of me. If I have enough power, if I have enough wealth, if I have enough success, I can cover up all these just, let's call them flaws. But we find out that they break down, don't they? They break down, and when they do, we start offering up excuses. We start to justify our behavior. Or maybe we even deny that it's a problem. Or maybe we blame somebody else. Haven't you seen that in the last year in our country? Some of the most powerful, wealthy, successful people in our country, when their masks crack and you look behind the scenes, you see this problem. 
not only outside the church, but within the church, people justifying these relationships that they've had, denying that they're a problem, and maybe even blaming others or just denying it ever happened. No, I never did touch that woman. Never said that to her. And it reveals to all of us, they're the same as we are, and we are the same as they are. There's no reason for us to stand and gloat or point our finger and say, shame on you. They need to face the consequences, but we need to look in the mirror and say, I'm no different. I have the same propensity to do the same thing they did, and I have to admit that because that's what Scripture tells me. I'm no better. That's who we are. That's what the mirror of Scripture tells us. And we're in this state. It goes deep into our hearts. And when we look into Scripture, that's what we have to admit. But that's not the only thing Scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us something else. You know, it was the monk Martin Luther who looked into this mirror, and all he saw was a sinner. And he beat himself, and he tried to confess every sin, and he tried to do everything he could to atone for his sins, and he couldn't. And he was frightened of Jesus until he was given the assignment to actually teach the text. And it was when he was reading Romans that he discovered the gospel. God revealed to him the gospel. And that's why Paul writes, and that's why Luther understood the gospel. But God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we got our act together, cleaned ourselves up, did all the things right, and got to the certain point, and then God took over. No, he came and met us where we were as sinners. He died for us, not just those that have faith in him, but he died for those that have no faith in him. And for those who rejected him and for those who crucified him, he died for them as well. And when Luther understood this, his whole world was blown apart. And this is the key for us to understand our true identity. We don't run away from the word. We dive into the word and we boldly go there because it tells us the truth. That we're more sinful than we could ever imagine but we are more loved than we could ever hope. That's what Jesus says about us. That's what his actions say about us. And so in Hebrews, the writer tells us about this sacrifice and what it does to us and how it changes us and how God sees us. Starting in verse 14, he says, For by one sacrifice he, that is Christ, made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more says that we have been made perfect. Perfect. Forever. Not until the next time we sin, but forever. By the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, the writer's describing before this, this sacrificial system that the Hebrews lived under, where they brought sacrifice after sacrifice for their sins. 
to the priest at the temple, and the priest would offer those sacrifices on their behalf. But not only on their behalf, he had to offer sacrifices on his own behalf. And every year they had to offer a sacrifice for the whole nation. But the writer tells us that those sacrifices were never intended to take away sins. They were only as a reminder of their sinfulness. Scripture is a reminder that we are sinners. And they were meant to remind the Hebrews that they had to rely upon God and his mercy, his forgiveness. Remember the promise he made to Abraham when Abraham was told to, to, to kill Isaac? He said, stop, I will provide. And that's exactly what God did on the cross. He provided his son, the sacrifice, the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. God provided. And through that sacrifice, it says, when he provided that sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. See, the priests, they just kept working 24-7. But now that this sacrifice for sins had been made, There was no more sacrifice to be made. He sat down. And it says through that sacrifice, he sees you who are being made holy, perfect. What does that mean? Remember in Romans, we looked at the word called justified. It is by the power of the gospel that we are given faith. And in that faith that we are given, we are declared righteous. The righteousness of Christ, we are given And we are justified in God's eyes, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how he sees us, perfect. But he doesn't stop there because we're still sinners. So he sends his spirit into our hearts, gives us his word in the church so we can grow to look more and more like his son. So we can be more and more of a a better reflection of his son in this world. And so he continues to perfect us, to sanctify us. But it says that he sees us as perfect. And it says he won't remember our sins no more. How is that possible? I don't know. I have no idea. But there are a ton of things about God I can't explain. But we know they're true because we see the evidence of it. And it tells us that he sees our sins no more, and he sees us as perfect. I see my sins, God sees perfection. That's how he sees me. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Those whom God is perfecting, you are new. God is recreating you. That's what God has always been about. Not about making bad people good, but about bringing dead people to life. And he does that through his church and through the word and through the power of his spirit. By the power of his love, he is recreating you into the image of his son. That is who you are. That is your identity. And when Jesus died on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. The sacrifice for your sins finished that day you were declared righteous before you were born in god's eyes that's who you are that's your identity you're a sinner but you are a saved child of god and jesus says no one can snatch you out of the father's hand that is secure no one can take that away from you 
That identity in Christ is secure all time. What a wonderful word of hope. That's why he continues, the writer does in verse 20. I'll start with 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the most holy place was that inner temple, inner part of the temple where only the high priest could go once a year to offer sacrifice. Only he could go there. But now, he says, we can go there. Where the presence of God is, we can enter that place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having, been, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He's telling us, because of what Jesus has done for us, we don't need to be afraid to go to God with our sins. We don't, know, we don't need to fear him. We can trust him with our sins. You and I, we don't need an intermediary to pray on our behalf. We, as Jesus said, can pray directly to the Father. When the disciples asked him, teach us how to pray, what did he say? Our Father, who art in heaven. We pray directly to God the Father. And when we do so, we come before him as sinners, but understanding he's a loving and gracious God. And he is faithful. And we confess our sins. We confess that we are truly sinners. And we repent of those sins. And he's faithful. And he forgives our sins as he promises to do as he has already done. Instead of running away from the truth, instead of trying to hide and cover up and put a mask on, we need to throw off the mask and throw ourselves at his feet, and we need to confess our sins and to repent. And he's faithful and just to forgive us. And so we learn that we have peace with God. We are no longer enemies we are his children. And what good father would not want their children to know how much he loves them? Second, we learn that we have joy. And we can look in the mirror. Oftentimes when you're caught yourself in this sin, in this place, the last thing you want to do is look in the mirror. You don't even want to look at yourself. You don't want to be around people that you've sinned against. You don't even want to look at them. Kids, when you've done something your parents don't want you to do, the last people you want to be around are your parents. But this tells us you can look right in the mirror. You can look right into his face and be, a reassur be reassured with confidence, holding unswervingly to the faith that we profess, the hope that we have in his name in his son's name. What a gift he has given us. We no longer need to feel guilty. We can come to him and be cleansed again. When you've sinned against someone, when you've hurt someone, and you finally make amends, and you, you say, I'm sorry, don't you want to spend more time with them then? That's exactly what's going on here. Because his word reminds us. But the other thing that I think is 
just as important is that we get to encourage others. The writer goes on, and let us not and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some as are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, we're forgetful people. We forget these words. You could hear these words today, guarantee you, I'll forget them probably tomorrow. We need to remind one another. That's why we talk about small groups. That's why we gather here every week. The doors are open every week. So we can be reminded of this truth. So we can be reminded of our true identity outside of the church. Where you find your identity is all over the place. And you, we all live in that world, do we not? How do you ignore that message? How do you keep it out of your ears, unless you want to separate yourself and go off into the Congo? How do you not hear everything that's being said, that if you're just successful enough, you have enough money, you have the right relationship, if you just do these things, you'll be good? At least I'm not as bad as that person over there. But that's not the truth. We need to be reminded of the truth. That's why we spend and we encourage you daily in this word. Daily, so you don't forget whose you are and your true identity and that you have been forgiven. Oftentimes, we don't have to be reminded of our sin. We need to be reminded that we've been forgiven. Now, sometimes we need to be reminded, but that's what the body's for. We can encourage one another. We can admonish one another. We can hold one another accountable so that we don't forget who we are. And his last words, I think, give us some urgency. He says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching is when Jesus comes again. For when he comes again, his patience stops. When he comes again, those who are outside of that relationship will not want to be resurrected. They don't want their bodies brought back to life to experience an everlasting torment. But that's what Scripture tells us in Revelation will happen. And so as the body of Christ, those who living under that grace and that love, we know what it is to be loved as sinful people. Do we not want to share that good news with the world? Do we not want to be Christ's ambassadors? To let those that don't know him of the love of this great news, because when they think about the church or they think about the Bible, it's all just, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. We need to share with them. That's not what the Bible says. And so he's perfecting us so that we can more reflect his son, and we do that best together. That's our identity. We are saved children of God, and we are the church of God on earth. We are the hope of the world. He's given us that mission together. To do that, we need to live in this identity. We need to embrace that identity help us throw off the lies that ensnare us. So let's commit, all right, at least for these four weeks, to take this honest look in the mirror, to maybe hear some things about ourselves that we don't want to hear so that we can hear the great things about ourselves that maybe we forgot. I invite you to come back each and every week of this series. I pray you would do that for Jesus' sake.
Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are the true perfecter of our faith. It is remarkable that you say you remember our sins no more, that you have forgiven us of sins that we have yet to commit. But we understand from your word, as Paul reminds us, that's no license to just do whatever we want. So we gather before you this morning and we confess to you, we are sinners. Father, in our minds this morning and in our hearts, we confess to you those sins that we find ourselves trapped in. We trust you with our sin this morning. We confess to you. Father, at the same moment, your word is reminding us that those sins have been forgiven. And your words are, go and and sin no more. In the love of Jesus Christ, go and sin no more. Father, we thank you for your love, for your forgiveness. We thank you for what you say about us. That what we see is not the final word, but what you say, what you say matters. In Jesus' name, amen.